Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, as Ali said, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and I'm really glad that you're with us today. Really, really glad. I mean, throughout this series, there have been some good messages, some messages uh, where I feel like God's really moved and He's spoken to people, and I pray that today is one of those times for you, because uh, there are times in life that are hard. They just are. It's hard. And, you know, summer shouldn't be one of those times. Summer should be filled with sunshine and trips to the mountains, family vacations, you know, making memories, good things like that. But I got to be honest with you, this past summer was one of those hard times for Amanda and me. And to say it was a hard time honestly feels like an understatement. It just felt like we were hit with thing after thing after thing. It started on Memorial Day and I was, just a couple of us from Connect, we decided to go over to the baseball field here, kind of do a picnic and do some batting practice. There was a Connect softball team this summer. So we're doing some like slow pitch, softball batting practice. I get up there and second swing of the bat, my arm just continued with the bat. And not only did I tear my labrum, I've gotta be, I gotta be real with you, my pride was shredded because (laughs) I realized I can't even swing a softball bat now without injuring myself. Like, I'm getting old. So that, you know, I go see the doctor, and and he's like, you're going to need to have a procedure done, but you can't do it now. you got to wait seven weeks because that's the next appointment slot. So for seven weeks, I rehab my shoulder. I then do the the PT. You know, I did the procedure, and then I do more PT. I got to do PT the entire summer. So... If you're jealous of me, I understand why. Uh, that is just one thing. It's like, and it left me wondering, like, in all of this, where is God in our pain? Where is he in our pain? In July, I was up in the mountains with Hannah and Chloe, our two oldest. And when we were up there uh, spending the night at a cabin with some of their cousins, my nephews and nieces, and it was a blast. We were having a good time. And then as night came, I started to feel really weak exhausted, and even a bit achy. So I called it early. I just went down. I I, I tried to go to sleep. Chloe was up the entire night, so I got to be up the entire night with her. I woke up in the morning after not really sleeping thinking, we're going to probably have to go home because I I am spent. And we did. We drive home. And to cut the trip short, when we get home, the chills started, and I napped. Friends, I do not nap. Like, I don't ever nap, but I took a two and a half hour nap. Woke up, still felt terrible. Well, what I came to find out later is I had COVID. It was my time. And then COVID slowly worked its way through our family for the next three weeks. For the month of July, it basically took our family out of the picture. Where is God in our problems? But it didn't didn't end there for us. You see, the day before my shoulder procedure, I receive an email with a demand letter from the people who bought our house back in Maine 
three years ago. Apparently, they'd recently had some plumbing issues. They were accusing us of maliciously withholding the information to you know, issue with the, the plumbing system and saying that it was fraud, and, and they were demanding $12,000 of us. Now, we, we've never had our character called out like that and just like feel like we've been dragged through the mud, let alone have had such an exorbitant amount demanded of us. So we panicked. Like, how are we going to pay money we don't have to solve someone else's problem? At the outset of summer, we figured that there were going to be some challenges. We've got three little girls at home, one who is still napping and nursing a lot. We knew that it was going to be a busy summer, a hectic summer. It's going to have its challenges. We did not anticipate the pain, the problems, and then the panic. Like, where is God in that? Where is he in the problems? Where is he in the pain? Where is he when we panic? But this past season has been a hard one for us. And we've been figuring that out. Where is God in these times? And we're going to talk about it today because there are times in life when life's hard. And as the saying goes, when it rains, it pours. So where's God when it's pouring? Where is Jesus when life is hard? That's the question we're answering today. So if you've got a Bible with you, open with me to John chapter 11. And if you need a Bible, we've got some free Bibles in the back. You can also follow along in our church app or there's a place you can take notes as well. We've been slowly making our way through the Gospel of John in pursuit of answering a bigger question, this question, who is Jesus? And we've been going through John because John knew Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. He was a follower of him. And we've been looking at Jesus' life and ministry through the Gospel of John. And what we've seen is that Jesus has performed miracles. He's made some bold claims about himself, and he's going to do that again today. But today, we're going to see where he is when life's hard. And I I pray that this is an encouragement to you. In fact, why don't we do that right now? Let's pause, let's pray, and ask to hear from God. God, we come before you. We come before you (laughs) from whatever situation we're coming out of, we're going through. We come before you eager to hear from you. We want to know Jesus more. And I would ask that you would reveal him to each one of us in a fresh way today, that you would encourage us, no matter how hard the season is that we're living right now, maybe would today be an encouragement to us? Would you grow us in our relationship with you? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, before we read, let me kind of remind us of what's been going on in John, in the life and ministry of Jesus. You see, he's been performing miracles, he's been teaching, he's been making some claims about his identity, and people are starting to take notice. The religious are frustrated by Jesus, and they they feel threatened by him. But then you got the hurting people who they're starting to accept Jesus. They're experiencing a life that they had never experienced uh, before, maybe hadn't experienced in a long time, and they're, they're accepting him in the life that he's inviting them to live. Now, as Jesus was traveling around, and he's healing, and he's performing these miracles, he made some friends along the way, not least of whom were Mary, Martha, in their brother Lazarus. They're from Bethany, and at the time, Lazarus was actually sick. And Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. That's how the text says it. They sent word to him. It's like the ancient version of texting. And they say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Can you come? And this is where we're going to pick up the story, verse 4 and following. 
when he, Jesus, heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, the, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay, wait a second. Like, did, you, did you catch that? We see Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus heard Lazarus was sick, but he stayed where he was? Like, what kind of friend is that? The answer is actually revealed in verse 4. A little earlier, he says, When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Being God, Jesus knew there was uh, more going on here than meets the eye. You see, God's perspective on our pain is different than our perspective on our pain. And if we could see what God sees we may just understand his actions or his seeming inactions. Because Jesus had a bigger perspective. He had God's perspective. And he knew that there was more going on here. So what's going on here? He says, this is, this is going on. This is happening. Lazarus is sick, but ultimately God's going to be glorified. And, and he has this anticipation about him. And we should too. When life is hard, when it feels like a hospital waiting room. May we not doubt. We can question, but may we not doubt. Instead, we should ask, where is God in this? How is he going to show up in this seemingly hopeless situation? Because God moves in hard situations and he does something glorious. So we're going to see in a moment. Let's continue. Verses 11 through 15. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. He's talking to his disciples. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay, first we see Jesus receive this news that Lazarus is sick, but he doesn't go because apparently that's all right. God's going to be glorified from it. But here we now know Jesus knows Lazarus was dead and he was glad that he wasn't there. How, how could that ever be a good thing? Why would Jesus be glad about something like that? Lazarus is sick, but God will be glorified. Lazarus is dead but it's for your good. Really? Let me say it again. God's perspective on our pain, our problems, panic, his perspective is different than ours. And if we had his perspective, we would see things differently too. I mean, the end sounds great. God's glory, our good, but that path from like where we are today to that moment in time where we see his glory, where we're experiencing the good, it, it seems unidentifiable. Like we can't even see it. How do we get from A to B? But Jesus provides hope. Like how could, how could God ever redeem the loss of a job or retirement savings, let alone the loss of a loved one? Where, where is he in these times? We're going to keep reading to find out. And as we keep reading, three models of faith surface. The first is this, hopeful faith. By the time Jesus and his disciples arrived, Lazarus had been dead, not one, not two, not three, four days. 
He's been dead four days. Friends, family, they'd already come, shared their condolences, and then Jesus finally arrived. And when he did, Martha rushed out to meet him. John records it this way. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Can you hear that hopefulness in her voice? But even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. In the midst of Martha's pain, Jesus reframed her perspective on who he is. She had faith. She had hopeful faith. She believed that Jesus had a direct line to God. And a direct line to God is good, but Jesus is more than a direct line to God. Jesus is God. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And death has no place in me. And if you believe in me, then death will have no place in you, Martha. Jesus is changing her perspective. Her faith needs to broaden. It needs to deepen. And, and as with Martha, Jesus knows that crisis is a crucible for our faith too. That we actually grow more oftentimes when we're in a, a hard time. A time where we're experiencing pain, problems, maybe even panic. But where is Jesus in all of this? He's refining, he's reframing our perspective of him because he doesn't just provide a solution. Jesus is the solution. So yeah, you know, pray for the healing, but earnestly seek the healer. Pray for provision, but trust in the provider. Because hopeful faith is moldable faith in a crisis. And, I, and the, the question I have for us that I've had to kind of reflect on myself these past few months is, could this season, could this trial be a tipping point, like an inflection point in your faith journey? Could this be a, a point where you actually grow in your relationship with God, even though you're going through what you're going through? But maybe, maybe your, your faith doesn't feel like Martha's. You don't have hopeful faith right now. That's okay. Maybe your faith feels a little bit more like Mary's. Mary had shattered faith. As the story continues, verse 32 and following, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Mary, like Martha, rushed to Jesus, but when she got there, she just crumbled at his feet. A physical expression of her spiritual reality in that moment. She knew Jesus could have healed Lazarus, but he didn't. Faith shattered. Where is Jesus in Mary's pain? He's mourning with her. The text says he was deeply moved in spirit. In troubled. And then when he got to the tomb, it says Jesus wept. Like imagine the Son of God weeping with you in your loss. Imagine what that would be like. 
because he does. The author of life despises death. He wants nothing to do with it. Now, if you've recently lost a loved one, this message could be really raw for you. And, and I don't know what you're going through, but if that's what you are going through, I just want to say, I am so sorry. I can't even imagine how overwhelming at times the, the grief must feel, the pain, the loss. My encouragement to, to you would be this. Don't, don't stuff the pain. Grieve the loss. You're not a bad Christian for grieving. Grieving just means you're human and you care. We see this in Jesus. And in Jesus, we do not have a, a Savior who is unable to empathize with us in our pain, our weaknesses. That's not who our Savior is. He was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet he did not sin. He, he knew rejection from his own siblings. He was rejected. He knew what it felt like to be rejected. He knew what it felt like to be betrayed by his best of friends. He even knew what it feels like to be abandoned by God. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when you're going through it, please don't forget, Jesus gets it. He gets us. He gets us. And here's some ways that you could invite Jesus into that grieving process, okay? The first, my encouragement would be soak in scripture. Like if you're, if you're having a hard time making sense of things, I cannot think of a better thing to do than to go to scripture and spend time with God who is all-knowing, who is love, who promises to work through each and every situation to accomplish his purposes. Like soak in scripture, spend time with him. The second thing I would say is pray the Psalms. The reason I, I encourage you to do that is because when I'm feeling a whirlwind of emotions and I don't know what to pray, I will often turn to Psalms because Psalms is a bunch of prayers that God's people have prayed to him throughout the ages and they're filled with all kinds of raw emotion. So if you don't think God can handle how you're feeling right now, I would say turn to Psalms. Psalms is proof that he can. And he wants to hear from you. He wants to meet you in this moment. Now, my third encouragement would be connecting Christ-centered community. Grieving feels lonely enough. So don't exacerbate that by trying to go it alone. You don't need to be heroes here, okay? We're better together. And, I, and Jesus, was with Jesus uh, was with Mary in her pain. He wept with her. Who's going to weep with you? If you don't know who you can call on your best day and on your worst day, I want to encourage you, you should connect in a community group. It's not a perfect environment, but it's the best we know how at Connect to bring people together where you can know others and they can know you so that when life hits the fan, you know who to call and you know they're going to answer. We don't have to go, go it alone. We love, we love gathering like this as a church. It's fun, it's celebratory. You get to talk to people before and after service. But here's the deal, rows don't know like circles know. They just don't, even at a church our size. Rows are never gonna know like circles know. So circle up in a living room and make some friends. The best time to build that christ Center community was yesterday. The second best time is today. We lead a group. There are several other group leaders here today that I could connect you with. So if you wanna join a group, Come talk to me, or you can also check out all of the, the options on the app. But 
Don't try to live life alone, let alone try to go through hard times alone. So we're going to soak in Scripture, we're going to pray the Psalms, and we're going to connect in Christ-centered community. Not only is that a good strategy when we're going through a hard time in life, it's also just a good way to live life. So whether your faith is hopeful, like Martha's, or whether it's shattered, like Mary's, here's the challenge for all of us. And it's a challenge. Our challenge is to follow the model of Jesus, because the third model of faith is expectant faith. You see, after mourning with Mary, Jesus ordered that they roll the stone away in front of Lazarus' tomb. Now, Martha, who had hopeful faith moments ago, she goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. No one wants to smell that. But Jesus had him roll it away nonetheless. And then he said this, verse 40. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He's looking at Martha. Like, remember, this is for God's glory in your good, your, your belief. So they took this away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Notice that Jesus didn't petition God. Jesus thanked God for what he was about to do. That's a bold prayer. That's expectant faith. And it's this expectant faith that gave him the boldness, the audacity to say what he said next. Doesn't even make earthly sense. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Okay, who calls for dead people and expects them to respond? I'll tell you who, crazy people or the son of God, the giver of life. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If Jesus had simply healed Lazarus, that would have been good. But he wanted to do something glorious. You see, when God's perspective becomes our perspective, we start to see his glory in a whole nother way and our good in it all. In the moment, life can feel so fuzzy. It's hard to see where God is at. It's hard to make sense of things. It just, it looks like, you know, you, you're, I don't know, I have contacts. Some of you might have good eyesight, but when you're at the eye doctor and you're like looking and you're trying to see the letters on the wall and they're just like fuzzy, you can't make it out. But later on in life, like after some time has passed, we'll all say, whether you go to the eye doctor or not, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like we, we see it clearly now. We see how things connected. And for those of us who have faith, we see how God was working in the midst of it. I wonder what hindsight 2020 would be. One year, five years, 10 years from now. Like when we look back on our life, what's God going to have done? How will his glory be revealed? How will, how will our good be accomplished? Like what's he going to do? It'd be fun to speculate. It would. But if you're anything like me, after speculating, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to try to hijack that and like force the issue and make that happen. But then now we're trying to kind of force our thing instead of let, let God do his thing. Two things are going to be for sure. The first is God's, God's purpose is going, to, is going to take place. He's going to move. Romans 8.28 famously says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
How is God going to accomplish his purposes? Like, what does that look like when we're in a season of pain? The the first thing we know that's going to happen is it's going to cause us to turn to him. It's actually when it's pouring that, that, that the soil is softened, okay, so that a seed could grow, take root, and then could grow. And the same is true, not just in agriculture, but it's actually true in our lives as well. When a storm comes, it often softens the heart and it allows the seed of the gospel to take root for us so that we can grow in a relationship with God, so that we can know him more. The second thing we're going to see God do is we're going to see down the road him use our past pain to encourage someone in present pain. This is going to take some time. And only God's going to be able to orchestrate it. But when he does, in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his goodness, he will redeem that that hurtful, hard situation, and he'll actually use it to encourage someone who might not even know him in the time. There's, there's, There's purpose, even in the trial. Back in in John 11, verse 45, John records this, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Okay, what was a sucky situation? Jesus redeemed. And he moved miraculously, raising Lazarus from the dead. And of course, if you're there and you see a dead man walk out of a tomb, and the guy called him out, like, I'm with that guy. And a bunch of them were. A bunch of them were like, yes, I'm going to follow him. I mean, after all, Jesus said it himself, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I'm going to pose that question to us today because not everyone back then did. Do you believe this? You see, back then, the herding believed it. They know where else to turn. They're at the end of their rope. They're at rock bottom. And here Jesus is showing up in their life, in their community, in in doing what only God can do. So when they believe in him, when they receive him, they're experiencing life for the very first time, or at the very least, after a very long time. The hurting accepted Jesus, but the religious the religious responded differently. You see, some of the people from this crowd who observed, who watched it happen, they went back to Jerusalem and they told the religious leaders there what was going on, the Pharisees. And you know what the Pharisees did? They panicked. They panicked. They're like, oh no. If he keeps doing these kinds of things, other people are going to start to believe in him too. That would be horrible. Rome's going to find out. They're going to take our temple. They're going to take our nation. They panic. So they plot to have Jesus arrested and killed. And before we point fingers at the Pharisees, we're kind of like them too at times, aren't we? When we hear something, our mind starts to run. In that unfortunate scenario, we let it snowball into the worst case scenario. And then what do we do? We act on it. At least that's what I'm tempted to do. Like they're demanding $12,000. We're going to have to sell a car. Amanda's not going to be able to work. We're going to have to sell our house too. We should just bury our head in the ground and ignore it all. Of course, that's not a rational thought. But it's what happens when we, when we face fear. Like the Pharisees, we either try to fight or 
we freeze. But maybe that's not your tendency. Maybe you're one who wants to just like flee the situation. So you run from the relationship. You quickly quit the job when things get hard. Psychology tells us what we've all experienced. When we're faced with fear, we tend to do one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. But scripture invites us to do something else, something way harder. It invites us to, to walk in faith. And what that would look like when life is hard is believing that Jesus can. Like when Jesus flexes his God muscle in your life, in a situation, don't be bothered by it like the religious were. Embrace it, accept it, celebrate it. Believe that Jesus is God and that he can show up as God in your life. Because for some of us, that's what we need. We're at the end of our rope. We're at rock bottom and we need him to show up. And if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, do you believe that he could heal that sickness, reconcile that relationship, provide for that expense? Because I believe he can. And it's, it's belief in Jesus that actually enables us to the second thing. The second thing scripture teaches us is that we should choose joy. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, apart from Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Like, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Uh, no thanks. Like, I, I've never met someone who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I hope I have a hard day so I can be happy. We don't say that because if you're like me, it's easy to let our mood be dictated by our circumstances. But with Jesus, we can choose joy no matter what we face, no matter even how Jesus shows up in the situation, because we know this for sure. He is going to use that situation to grow us, to mature us, as that passage talked about. Now, when I, when I say choose joy, I want you to know, I know that that's not easy. It's actually one of the reasons, uh, it's one of our family values, like the Flathers family values. We have five of them. One of them is choose joy because of this passage in James, where joy is a, it's a choice. It's, it's not actually like a, just, I, I feel this way. It's a decision that we're making. We're going to choose joy, but we don't always get it right. And this summer, there was a Friday when we were just overwhelmed with our pain problems. We were definitely panicking. And Amanda and I had to sit down on the couch midday and look at one another and say, look, this isn't working. Like this is not working. Like how we're responding isn't working and our family is feeling it. We need to choose joy. Like we say we do as a family. So we made this resolution. We're gonna choose joy. Everything around us feels like chaos, but we're going to choose joy. And when we see the other person choosing joy, we're just going to call it out. We're going to celebrate it. And we started doing that. And before you get really impressed with us, let me assure you, choosing joy is a journey. It's not an event. There was a time, even just last week, we got hit with yet another legal bill. Okay? Didn't even know it was coming. Boom! Got hit with another one. And I did not feel joy. I can assure you of that. But that's what we're seeking. We want to follow Jesus. We want to choose joy. 
because our joy is in Him. And when we choose Him, we actually find joy. We do. And it leads me into the the third and, and final point. We need to run to and rest in Jesus because he is where we're going to find peace. He's the one we're going to find rest in. He gets us. We see it in John 11. Jesus wept with Mary. And and I know, uh, at least many of you who are with us this past summer, we went through, we had 21 days of prayer as a church. It was a great season. Uh, Back before that, I, I spent some time in June kind of preparing a Psalms prayer guide for that 21 days of prayer experience in July, okay? So I prepare that back in June, come to July. I hope God used that for you, but he definitely used it for me. I would wake up and I would, I would read whatever the psalm was that day, Psalm 23, whatever the psalm was. And as I did that day after day, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the pain, the problems, I mean, July is when it all hit the fan. It was just a horrible month. I don't ever want to live July 2022 again. But even in the middle of that, I was experiencing something with God. I was reminded that he sees me, he is good, and he's going to see me through what I'm going through. He is, and he has. Now, I wish I could just stand before you today and say, you know, everything's been worked out. It's all gone. Like all the pain, the problems, everything, it's all gone. We're not sick anymore, so that's good. But I'm still rehabbing my shoulder, and it is taking way longer than I wanted it to. We're still in the middle of that legal dispute. You know, we, we actually ended up engaging an attorney. attorney. We kind of did some, we got, gathered all the evidence. The case became very clear and it's, then their, their case crumbled. It was, that's encouraging, but we're still not like released from it. Like it's still in process. We're trying to like move past it, but it's not. The legal system I'm finding is very slow moving and the lawyers make out great. <laughs> they do. Um, but here's what we have experienced through that. We've actually seen God provide in some really cool ways through our family, through our church family. We've experienced him move in our lives, encourage us from his word, as I shared in Psalms, but also in very tangible ways as well. And those are experiences we would not have had if we weren't in the situation we were in. Now, I would not wish that on myself or our family or any of you, but what I can tell you is I now know a peace that I did not know then. And that peace comes not from an amount in our bank account. It doesn't come from anything or anyone except the Prince of Peace, who gives us peace that passes understanding. And and what I've been learning over this season is that it's the principle that we see in this passage today. It's that, that Jesus doesn't provide a solution. Jesus is the solution. And when we look to him, when we seek him, what we find is peace because he is with us in the pain. He is with us in our problems and he is there to calm us when we want to panic. Would you pray with me? Lord, some of us need you to do that right now. Some of us need you to provide peace, to provide strength to our weary souls. And we trust that you will. We see it time and again in scripture, you showing up in hard situations and using it to draw people closer to you. We ask that you would do that very thing in our lives. And when we give you all the glory when you do, we need you, Jesus. 
And we're so thankful that, that you don't run from us when we're hurting. You run to us and you're with us. And you, you, you know what it feels like to lose someone you love. And you also know resurrection and life. You are the resurrection and the life. And we place our trust in you. In your name we pray, amen.